listening to Songbones Podcast, where we get to the real and go to the deep with grassroots singer-songwriters. I'm Michelle McAfee. Welcome to Episode 6 with Portland singer-songwriter Chris Delane. On a rainy afternoon at Chris's home in North Portland, we took a dive beneath the surface of being an artist in a culture that doesn't always support art gentrification in artists, the changing music scene in changing times, and the joys and trials of being in two very large musical projects. Chris's passion for performance and music spills over into her passion for life and the world we live in. And we are also extremely excited to thank our very first Songbones podcast sponsor, Chickadee Remedy, small batch, artisan crafted, high quality, full spectrum hemp salves, that work wonders on aches and pains. I used it to help heal a strained oblique muscle this summer after a rafting incident, and it was awesome. If you're injured or sore, put a bird on it. Go to chickadeeremedy.com. Welcome to episode six. So I, on purpose, didn't go looking for your bios or anything. Good, and then I'll just make everything up. That's why I was Brand hoping. New. We'll just, we'll, we'll figure it out. <laughs> but um, there are a couple of questions just like as a friend that I don't know. Things like, because we've hung out a little bit, but not yeah. a bunch. And some of my best memories were when I lived in Portland 10 years ago. And yeah. you hosted this woman's gathering. And it was the place with the great big fig tree. Yeah. And... <laughs> you told us to bring like write down these intentions on a piece of paper and bring them and I was like picturing the typical oh we're gonna go and make a little fire in the backyard but <laughs> no Chris comes out with a blow torch oh that you, was that day you came out with a blow torch <laughs> and you were like ladies we're gonna burn it with Fuck a that blow shit up. torch yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I was Let's like get some power I yeah. love this woman <laughs> I love her I just love her and then the next time we like hung out for a serious length of time outside of before and after shows was um, you were the one who taught me how to can fig jam. Oh, we did the we, fig, right. We did the fig. Wow, you have a great memory. Well, that's, but that's about where it ends right there. Well, but, yeah, because like, then you left. <laughs> then I left. And devastated. And, and no, and I am still wondering what I was thinking when I left Portland. <laughs> but, um, oh, you're doing so great I have, things. I have those like those two vignettes of, mm-hmm. that you will always embody this woman the fig of that canning blowtorch girl. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> gotcha. So like, but the I, I missed the the normal details. Like, are you from here? Where are you from? Uh, originally California. Cool. I've been here, though, for like 26 years. Were you already writing songs and gigging and stuff when you came here? Or was that something yeah. that was born in Portland? No, strangely. Um, I had been touring with my duo partner for years and years throughout the U.S. and Canada. And um, during our travels, um, we're looking at, you know, possibly relocating to somewhere else. Because, you know, you're on tour and you're driving back towards L.A. and you're driving into this cloud of smog and it just felt so unnatural to drive towards that and not away from it and so uh you know just the the hectic density of of los angeles and so we i mean it was either going to be austin or portland spent five months in austin and austin's so awesome and then we spent uh, you know, another three or four months here in Portland and decided on Portland. So that was how that happened. And, uh, you know, we had, I had been uh, 
partnered with my duo partner for a long time. But when we, by the time we got here, that was already over. But we kept the band going. Uh, even lived together for a long time still after that for several years. And um, yeah. Uh, and then that ended and now I'm doing this. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yes. How old were you when you started touring? Like, uh, like probably 167 or something uh-huh. like that. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> so you, you basically like toured a lot of your life. It was like in my mid-20s. Yeah. I, I, I took a break from college to go on tour and then I never went back. Uh-huh. I just loved it. And um, I yeah, music has been a long time love. And so it, I did, what else am I going to do? Bag groceries. I'm just, <laughs> I, I'm not, I'm not built for the workforce. I, it makes me homicidal. Mm-hmm. basically it's <laughs> no good for anyone involved so i understand mm-hmm. yeah so were you already writing songs when you were out on the road or was that more of like yeah. a cover scene yeah uh the whole point with the touring thing is that yeah we were touring as an original acoustic duo and so yeah we had uh we had done several albums adam and chris was the name of that group and then we turned into sweet juice when we got into portland um, so we had we turned it into a four piece. Adam wrote and I wrote, and we would each contribute songs to the albums and 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 it's funny actually since I've been here I've done so much less writing, um, just because life kind of took over and I've been through dealing with that for a long time now. So, um, but yeah, we t- definitely lots of lots of recording, lots of touring. Um, and it's something I'd like to get back to at this point now that my mom just died a year ago. Um, so I was taking care of her for like the last five years. So that really kind of made me homebound. I had to stay. And and uh, now it's like, oh, the whole world has changed. <laughs> I can give, you know, now I could go do anything. So I do look, look forward to getting back on the road mm-hmm. for sure. What would you do differently this time around touring? Would you go back as a solo artist, as a duo? Would you try to take a whole band out? I think for now, I'm pretty much, uh, how do you say, uh, self-contained. I would definitely like to start out as, if I'm going to tour extensively as a solo, but I also am good at picking up people along the way, so I'd probably get people to play with in different towns. And that said, I would really love for my band, I have a band called Chris Delane and the Hurt, and uh, it's a nine-piece Motown soul R&B review, like, badass. with, yeah, with, it's like, so the dancing ba- backing <laughs> vocalists and the horn section, and, yeah. you know, like, the Supremes or the Temptations, and so it's really fun, up-tempo show, but everybody has family, and, you know, they're more connected to staying at home than I am at this point. So as far as touring, I would like to get them out on some regional stuff, if possible, Um I think they'd love it, and I think, you know, we're just playing so much in Portland right now that it would be good to branch out and, you know, get to some other areas. Uh, but, yeah, as far as touring, also I'm kind of just sort of, I've done so much touring, I'm kind of bored of the states, and I'm bored of our administration. Uh-huh. And Amen. I, yeah, and I want to, like, uh, I, I've been hitting up my friends that are, oh, they've moved to Spain, they've got, got people all Italy, da-da-da, so I want to really actually start touring outside of the United States more again now that now that I can so yeah. and my mom would have wanted me to tour she was always really into go out into the world and see what's going on out there because everything is we're such a new country still you know and it's it's so interesting to go to places where the culture is thousands of years old I think one of the things that we lost 
in this capitalistic society is a lot of our culture mm. like it just becomes a really shallow facebook culture and not that facebook doesn't have good uh parts to it it's it's nice to keep in touch with people but the depth of it and the the um immaturity of it is uh is everywhere <laughs> so it is interesting to go and because everywhere i go in the states it seems like everything's the same it's the same you see the strip malls and mcdonald's is everywhere and you know, but then there's McDonald's in Russia too. So what do you do? Um, <laughs> just different. So I'm I'm into that now. I want to see more of that. Where? What other countries have you toured in or played in? Uh, uh, Canada and Adam and I went to uh, Paris and a little a few other places around France. I mean, extensively in the U.S. and um, and I went to Russia and Soviet Georgia for a play there as an artistic exchange I've been there and so not enough you know yeah. not enough at all I got to get out there yeah I'm not young anymore <laughs> I've done a few um projects in Canada with a friend who lives up there but more in the behind the scenes I wasn't I wasn't the artist right. I was supporting a, thea a theatrical nice um program up there with so elders and youth and it nice. was really it was amazing to be in a country that supports art. Mm -hmm. And yeah. my friend up there, she's an artist and a singer-songwriter. And it's like, there are grants. Amazing. For people like us. Imagine. Can you, can you imagine? <laughs> like, it just, it really was a little bit disheartening to come back home and, mm -hmm. and just see how a lot of, a lot of artists in my world, like mm -hmm. there's a hustle. We have to hustle. It's hard. like, you gotta hustle hard to work as an artist to work for nothing yeah. yeah and you know it's just like you go out and you're you know hopefully you'll make enough to cover everything and pay your, your bills when you get yeah. home but it's not always a guarantee at least you True. know not at this stage of what i'm doing mm -hmm. um and i find that sad because other countries it's not that way i think Come that on. comes down to kind of what we we're talking about just the the bereft culture you know everything is so soundbite and there's no history behind it. There's no knowledge, truly, like cultural knowledge or pl or place-based knowledge or um, wisdom, you know. And so, yeah, I think that we, because it is such a capitalistic society, perhaps um, write off artists as just, oh, they're just like, uh, you know, getting their kicks. They're, they're not really working, you know. It's yeah. not really work. You're doing it for fun. Oh, yeah, you're just having fun out there grinding away at this because that's where your heart is. So when I moved, when I lived in Portland, the artists were still on Alberta. Mm -hmm. And it was Portland, it was a city, but it didn't feel like a city, you know. Mm. It still felt like this great small. big small town yeah and you were here then you were like already really well established then when i got here and you you were 10 years ago about yeah, okay about 10 I'm trying years to put ago it in perspective yeah what has this change in portland done to the music scene here like how has that affected you as an artist and affected kind of the grassroots singer-songwriter scene in Portland? That's an interesting question. And I think like off the top of my head, I would say we still have a thriving and vibrant music community. And I, and I think that that's basically because our club owners and our 
community around the music is so strong like that you're finding people oh laurel thirst needs a hundred thousand dollars to stay open and they it they find it through the community you know there's so there's a lot of struggling to hold on right now and I, I I think I also what this kind of brings up too is I mean basically what we're talking about is gentrification so I think addressing that is probably good to say a few things about that um when I got here you know Mississippi and Alberta and those communities were still black and when I, you know, when Mississippi Pizza was going in, which is like one of the early venues on Mississippi, um, you know, they were having bullet holes and graffiti on the in the on the front uh, windows, and uh, and it was tense. I mean, it was definitely, you know. So I think we we were very resistant to change. Just the human animal likes stability and likes things to be you know, constant. And yet when I look back on, I mean, cause I was so much younger then and I didn't really realize, but I mean, that gentrification, me moving from California pushed people out of their neighborhoods, me and everybody else that did that, you know, and from everywhere else that they came into Portland. And, you know, so what was the music scene before that? before we took over Alberta and we took over Mississippi and it became mostly white, like what happened? There are still places where, you know, where you get a good jazz club or a place that still really get attracts a multicultural audience, but we didn't plan for that or make room for that as we were all coming in. Mm-hmm. And so there's like kind of that period of gentrification, the 25 years ago, and then there's the 10 years ago where we're all happy about how things are going and now we're getting pushed out and and yeah i mean i've moved out of portland now i'm i've i can't afford it anymore when i first moved here we had like a house for 750 dollars you know then me and my my dual partner stayed you know we're able to be there for like 13 years and now it's it's impossible you can't do it on a musician a bunch of my friends have moved to salem moved you know out into the suburbs um and that's it's hard. I mean, there's just no stability in our lifestyle, I think, in general. But I guess we knew that coming into it. But it is, uh, it's difficult. And so I think how it's changed the music scene is maybe just a bit more like people are really holding on tight right now. And I think that even though we're resistant to change because that's our comfort place, it's what we know, then we know we can go to this venue day after day and they're always going to have great music. And um, and and, a com- and communities are built around these venues. You know, people get to know each other through those things. They get married, they meet each other and dance and have kids and it's like the story of their life. And it's all with the background of the music that we play, which is a beautiful thing. I mean, you can't buy that. You know, so it's precious and magical, and um, and that's still here. I really want to make that clear. It just is getting more difficult, I guess. You know, the biggest change is the amount of driving that we have to do to get to our gigs, because I think a lot of us aren't giving up. You know, we're not moving away yet. It'll probably happen, just like it did in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. You know, um, there's no stopping change. It's just gonna keep going, and because you can't stop money. 
money's going to go where it will without consideration of of who they're displacing you know mm -hmm. so i mean even my meager money when i was coming here displaced people with less money so mm -hmm. i mean there are definitely reparations that need to be made i would in in you know, in a lot of people's estimation. And I, and that's, I think, a lot of what the Black Lives Matter and the, you know, the, the whole um, deconstructing your white privilege, you know, and really um, becoming aware of the damage that we've done. Um, and then how from there, and I think a lot of that has to do with really listening to the voices of disenfranchised persons and, uh, and, letting them lead it because if we continue to try to plow our way through with our limited knowledge we're just gonna do more damage we're gonna so make think, a mess yeah like we do mm -hmm. so <laughs> <laughs> we're good at that so, yeah we're really good at that yeah. and it's it's shameful it's embarrassing and, and then there's a lot of grief un to unpack with that um you know I know a lot of us, especially in the music community, we want to do good in the world. That's why we're doing this, you know, and to really go back to, wow, we we really messed that up. Is It's hard. It's painful. And I think, you know, especially when we talk about uh, the politics of of white and colored is uh there's such a huge history there it goes back so far i mean our whole country is built on it mm -hmm. and it's ingrained i mean talk about culture we're like racist to the core mm -hmm. uh, culturally and uh, the you know the whole system is built on the inequality right now with the prison systems and the uh God, it's impossible and it's going to take time. It's going to take a lot of care to repair these things. I, you know, I don't know how to fix that. I don't know how to make reparations. But that's definitely, you know, now that I have time again in my life, uh, that's on the on my plate. I'm going to eat that now. You know. Chris is a deep diver, and I love that about her. She doesn't candy coat or gloss over things to make anyone else feel better. She knows her heart. And maybe it was the rain falling outside, or the understanding that to heal anything, we first have to be willing to acknowledge there is something to heal, and then start the conversation. When I come into Portland, because I don't live here every day, I come here, you know, once every month or two. Mm. Um, and I'm seeing visibly some huge, massive changes in the last two years oh, yeah. since the election. Mm. Um, <laughs> what have you noticed? Uh, like in, and not just in the city as somebody living here, but also in music as a musician, hmm. you know, has it, has there been more of a bonding? Is this, um, and I'm throwing air quotes right now, mm -hmm. the division in this country, is it palpable in the music scene here in Portland? Or, you know, what what have you noticed in the last two years? Or has nothing changed? Is it just business as usual? I think the biggest thing that I'm seeing right now as far as, you know, our, you know, we're generally a liberal commu community. Uh, there's a lot of depression uh, happening with the, musicians that I know it's been a very difficult uh, couple of years and uh, you know again 
we're all out there thinking, you know, that we're superheroes in some way and going to change the world and make it better and make it a better place. And, and then that happened and it was almost unfathomable. I mean, no one really thought that that was possible. And, and of course, trickery and all that. So it, I think there's just so much of, um, being beaten down. Uh, I think the musician community in general, the artist communities are, already beaten down a lot and so adding this on top of it is is, is, it's smothering in a way um so i think maybe in some ways in some ways people that still have energy are are using it to to create more and other people are just really sort of sitting back on their haunches and trying to get a breath right now Mm -hmm. um a lot of us are pretty devastated and um and i think also maybe not sure what they can say out loud because there's a lot of um you know on the social media platforms there's so much backlash for the liberal uh, mindset um so when people are uh putting stuff out there trying to advocate for voting things like that you're just getting a lot of abuse Mm -hmm. online now um you know and I don't care, but a lot of people, it's hard on them, you know. Mm-hmm. I always think, like, whatever comes out of someone's mouth is their own brain leaking out their face. So, <laughs> um, but I think that's the biggest thing that I've seen. And, I mean, I know that we're struggling right now. I, I, so, this brings up, like, we have a huge thing happening right now with the, uh, you know, I think... Uh, disaster capitalism i think is what you'd call it but they're they're trying to force retrofit um for earthquake preparedness and about 30 percent of our venues are up for getting these red placards on the front of them that say that they're not safe if there's an earthquake and um that will force uh I mean, these venues, I mean, like I said, Laurel Thirst just had to come up with a crowdfunded $100,000, and so did the Alberta uh, Rose, Alberta Rose Theater. Um, they just got a bunch, of, and a bunch of money to just keep their things going wow. because the community wanted them that bad, and now they're being slapped with the retrofit, like forced retrofit thing, and with that kind of a, a, a code on their building, they're not going to be able to get a bank to fund it to get the retrofits that are required. So it's so this is kind of like these are this is developer pushed stuff. They yeah. want to tear down these old buildings in Portland and put up some high rises and make a bunch of money on it and kill the culture. You know, don't they don't care that they're killing the culture in the meantime? But I mean, this is people are up in arms about this right now in Portland, and there was just a big march on City Hall. Um, yeah uh so there's a lot of fighting going on where before we were kind of just maybe resting in our communities and being being able to create in you know a little with a little less stress um it's always a stressful lifestyle but when you add these things to them i mean you're you're effectively squashing a culture um, you're effectively squashing what made Portland awesome to begin with. And that's the sad part of the what will be the backlash for the people that are moving here from all over the place right now is they're not going to have the Portland that they moved to mm-hmm. at all. Mm. Yeah. Wow. I wasn't aware that was going on. Yeah, it's harsh. 
I mean, maybe we can roll it back, but it's going to take a lot of people protesting to get that because there's money. Again, this goes back to the previous question. There's just no stopping money. Gentrification is going to happen until we come up with another value system, um, until we know what's sacred and magic and we care about it and we want to hold on to it. Until then, I mean, where's where's the soul, you know, in, in just making money? Is that... I mean, I guess I don't know. I've never made any money. <laughs> so maybe it's super awesome. <laughs> yeah. All the hookers and blow. Right. <laughs> Dig it. Whatever. You know, it's a, it's yeah. a power play. Yeah. And I think we find our power in, you know, as far as the music community, I think we find our power in different ways. It's not uh, invasive in that way. Yeah. It's a, it's a building more than, more than a making yourself better than other people. Well, it's an interesting time, I think, for mm. art in general in this country. I have a friend who's an amazing singer-songwriter, mm. and her songs, you know, are very forward and progressive and positive, but she also gets into the grit of, mm-hmm. like, this is what is up, people, yeah. this is real. And, um, you know, she does a lot of work in prisons with art, taking art inside prisons and mm-hmm. such, and... um she's very vocal on stage between Mm -hmm. songs, you know, like Mm -hmm. she won't even hesitate to go into a political statement or Mm -hmm. just speaking her truth and just being like, I call bullshit on this, this climate change. I call bullshit on this hate that's happening in our culture and whatever. I'm just paraphrasing, but she was attacked vocally. Someone saying you shouldn't, Right. Say that on stage. People come to shows to get away from that. And mm. and politics <laughs> shouldn't. You should just be up there and sing your songs. And, you know. Oops. She, her being <laughs> who she is. <laughs> it was like, um, I would like to introduce. Don't come back. I right? would like to introduce you to Do sometime. I not know her? She sounds like <laughs> yeah, a hundred friends. She's a serious badass. Awesome. But she basically flipped him the bird yeah. and went up and played her second set and, and just said more let shit. him have yeah, it, good. you know? Yeah, publicly. I yeah. Have, never fuck with the singer, man. They have the microphone. <laughs> exactly. It's, it's like, trouble. Wrong so, yeah. answer, man. Wrong <laughs> answer. And then I was talking to another friend of mine who's a really wonderful singer-songwriter, and she was just stating how there can also be this pressure to feel like we have to write songs Mm -hmm. that are political or we have to speak to what is happening and we you know it's like otherwise we're not doing our job we have to be able to mix those things right Mm. like how does that show Mm. up in your in your life the first thing i want to say is that i think that the best thing we can do right now to stay whole and sane during all this is to just take care of ourselves and if that means writing a down and dirty love song or a pissed off at the xyz that's what you got to do because right now everybody is trying to throw you off your center and so all the artists i would say yeah right where you're right where your soul and your passion are keep yourself sane and stable and then i mean can i just say yawn stretch here we go with the whole music shouldn't be political thing again i just gotta i <laughs> there's somebody that is posting uh a, a white guy on uh on all of my um you know, my event pages, oh, you know, we came to see Chris Delane and she, she made it clear that we were not welcome with her political ranting. And I, you know, I just let him go on because he's, he's showing how, how ignorant he is all by himself. I don't even need to respond. Um, There is just, let's just, there is no, art is political, no matter what. 
you, you're not going to get a break, people, by going t- to a gig. Uh, you're not going to get a break from life. Like there are people there that have souls and have opinions, and this is the way that they do it. And uh, there, it's just, it's. I kind of, I, I put my foot down on this whole thing because it's that whole idea that music is should, that we're there to serve you. No, <laughs> if that's the case, you got to pay us more. That costs extra. <laughs> just, yeah. it's just no. I mean. I, I, that's a very entitled and uh, uh, small-minded uh, approach to to getting your entertainment. So wake up, grow up. You know, let your entertainers do what they're going to do, and don't don't put them down for it. If you want, if you don't like that, just go see. You know, go to the Nutcracker. Go somewhere else. Like don't don't put your musicians down. Yeah. I mean, they don't have anything. And when you put them down, it just, again, it's like, that's adding to this like depression that's happening right now with the music thing. It's like, what? We can't be political. That's what lights the fire under us. You know, that's, it's, it's it, you know, that and our, our hearts that want to sing that love song are the things that we're, that are our fuel. It's our soul coming out here. This isn't like we're going and making widgets, you know, uh, this, it's, this matters. At least I'm going to try to believe that it matters until I'm dead. because it really does feel like a tricky time to be a performing artist. I played a show a few months ago and it was going really well. Everyone was in good spirits and the energy was really up and fun. Then I played a song that had a political and environmental bent. The energy in the room plummeted, not because folks disagreed with my ponderings, but possibly because folks were emotionally fatigued and for just a while they could lose themselves in the music and forget about it all. That is, until I reminded them. Taking the high road as an artist can be tricky when the upper and lower trails look oddly similar. For me, art has always been about a conversation. Mm. Yeah, it's like reflecting and also challenging the culture and the norms and the, and hey, how come this has to be like this? Yeah, I, I think that's a huge uh, benefit of, of the artistic community is pushing forward, pushing forward with people's preconceived notions, um, you know, even in some ways just um, uh, educating, educating people. I said, you know, and again, even in a lot of the um, more political stuff, I mean, if you look back at like Woody Guthrie or, you know, uh, so many of the of the political singer songwriters, sometimes you hear a song and you just you it, it just gets into your into your head and and you don't really know what it's about and then when you go look at the lyrics you're like oh whoa okay I didn't know that and this here's this songwriter that I really enjoy and admire so you're kind of already maybe at an advantage that songwriter at getting that message through you know because music comes in in so many different ways there's the lyrical part but there's also the musical part which can get in under your skin before you really even understand what the song is about mm-hmm. and uh, it's a lovely little magic trick that we do i'd say yeah yeah 
I walked into the Alberta Rose Theater in Northeast Portland a few years back on Thanksgiving weekend to catch a show a friend raved about. By the time I left the theater that night, I was walking on clouds, felt giddy, and had a smile on my face. All because of the collaboration and love pouring from the stage the entire night from many of Portland's finest musicians reenacting the band's last waltz. If you are anywhere near Portland on Thanksgiving weekend, check out The Next Waltz at Alberta Rose Theater and get your tickets early because it always sells out. How did the next waltz happen? So we have, for eight years now at the Alberta Rose Theater, we've been doing a benefit for the Jerry Mean Wilson Foundation. They help musicians with catastrophic, uh, the cost of catastrophic illnesses as uh, because musicians are chronically under um, insured. And so when something really bad happens, not only do we lose our means of making a living, but we don't have the means to pay the uh, co-pays on our surgeries and, and, and extended illness issues. So eight years ago, it was uh, Jeff Rosenberg and Adam East, and we do a recreation of the band's last waltz that was filmed by Martin Scorsese. It was a Thanksgiving weekend show, and so we've been doing that now for the last eight years at the Alberta Rose Theater. It's grown to three days, and we sell it out every year, and it's a, a real joy. And I think uh, we had been speaking about how um, my old band broke up. And um, so I kind of like for a little while, I didn't really have a project. And I was lost. I didn't know what I was going to do next. I was kind of terrified of going at it all by myself. There's something very comforting, at least in having one bandmate. I always kind of wanted to be like the Beatles where everybody, you know, for that time that they got along, um, you know, <laughs> you have your brothers and you're having fun. And um, so uh, it was really difficult for me to step out center stage and be just like the person on stage. Um, I was always really shy. I know that's hard to believe. <laughs> but I'm assuming it was way, really, sister. yeah, it was it. really hard for me. And um so uh, when the waltz came up, I felt uh, comfort in that uh, I had had my band Bertheline, um had rotating members over time, but we we agreed to do uh, the the portion of the show, and um, from there met so many other musicians as as they would choose the lead singers to come through or the guitar players to come through and do the 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 lead parts. Um, that really expanded my uh when you're playing all the time it's really hard to go see your friends bands because you only really see them if you're playing with them because we're all playing at the same time so it was great to get to do a gig with them and it expanded my community in that way let me see what my peers were doing and and also have a position where I could showcase them and stand behind them and make them look and sound great, you know, which I love that so much. Um, so this has been a total joy. And it was kind of easy, that whole thing. I mean, it's a lot of work. I have like 60 musicians a year that I wrangle to get those rehearsals done. And and that's just my, you know, Louis Longmire and the Crackers do the second or the the third third of the show as it were I guess we do the first two thirds at this point but um uh so it's just a lot of organizing people but 
I kind of, you know, with my big band, I have a, you know, the nine piece Motown soul thing, Chris Delane and the Hurt, where I'm, there's probably 50 people in that band at this point. So I'm really used to having like rotating members. Every, all my guys are great. And so we, they all play in all these different bands and not everybody's available on the same day. So having a big backup of um, people for each seat uh, allows me to take the gigs that come in and be able to fill those lineups. So, yeah, so the waltz, it kind of like, uh, it felt very natural, like a really natural progression of just uh, that band, Bertheline, starting, morphing into the hurt, morphing into the band that does the next waltz. Um, and it's it's just been so fun. And what a great, what a great bunch of music. I mean, it's just the roots rock. And um, it, we're just so excited about it every year. It's just so awesome. And I think everybody that comes in to be the guest performers are just thrilled with it as well it's there's so much love in that room and it really took off it was a great idea I think the idea was started with Jeff Rosenberg okay yeah I've been to uh I think I've gone three years or four years in a row yeah and it is so fun spectacular it is like such a time capsule journey <laughs> and you guys like the the love the that love comes in that room off that stage mm. is mm-hmm. like nothing i've ever seen like it's awesome. just it is so magic yeah and yeah it's just it but it, i've always wanted to ask you like i mean obviously you are a maestro orchestrator <laughs> you know like you, you are a serious professional orchestrator to be able to to navigate that because the first time I found out about it, I was making my second record here in Portland, living with Heidi mm-hmm. up in uh, Northeast. Mm-hmm. And I came home <laughs> from the studio to this cacophony happening in my basement. <laughs> yep. And I was like, what is that? That sounds amazing. Was and the I, tuba there? <laughs> no, the tuba wasn't there, but I walked downstairs and there was like, like this oh my badass God. drummer just yeah. laying it down. And you were like singing some epic harmony <laughs> and somebody was belting out. I don't even remember which song it yeah. was. And I just sat on the steps with my chin in my oh, hands, just like, so like a teenager in love, just mm-hmm. looking at the whole scene it was so that's incredible for the whole you guys thing. were rehearsing in my basement that's cool yeah yeah we used to rehearse. yeah yeah and was it was nice just like, wow this is special like I, I knew then and that was you know that was 2011 or 12 I think so, so without a, that would have been right at the beginning then huh? yeah mm-hmm. it was like man cool. I knew I just knew I could feel it in my bones like mm-hmm. that's special yeah I think everybody got that spark it, it, it's really been like uh uh, it's definitely it's, we look forward to that every year it's a joy I, and you know it's like here you're getting at the holidays which can be really stressful and or lonely and uh and then there's this huge bunch of warm bodied beautiful musicians just kicking so much ass it's it really it helps get through the holidays for sure it's a beautiful thing yeah mm-hmm. thanks for asking about that that's an awesome show oh yeah i recommend anybody in the portland area mm-hmm. Um, Thanksgiving weekend Mm -hmm. to go to Alberta Rose Theater Mm -hmm. and to see the next waltz Mm -hmm. with all of Portland's magical, amazing musician people. Oh, the shiny people. The shiny people. (laughs) Give them the love. I'm serious. Well, Chris, it has been a delight 
oh, to talk to you. My pleasure. This Thank was so fun. Thank you so much. Thank you. And good luck with this Thank podcast. You. I love this idea. I'm glad, so glad you're doing this. Thank you. Yeah. Me too. And uh, I'm sure we'll do this again. I'll put you in the hot seat again. Absolutely. Anytime. All right. Thank you. Thanks for listening to episode six of Song Bones Podcast. You can find out more about Chris Delane on our spotlight page at songbones.com or go to Chris's website, chrisdelaneandthehurt.com. And great big thanks to our very first podcast sponsor. Don't forget to check out chickadeeremedy.com. And if you like this podcast, please share it or hit the like button wherever you get your podcasts so that we can keep Song Bones Podcast on the airwaves. See you next month.